Welcome, Welcome to, to Creative Writing. This is week 90, oops, this is episode 99, week, who knows what week it is. <laughs> I'm your host, Junkie Turdman, and in the studio tonight, we have more than one special guest. We have Chris Wigenstein in the house, and also another guest from Irvine, California, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, my name is Jen. And that's Jen. <laughs> yep. I can barely tie a shoe, let alone figure out this thing. Kangaroos are just leaping down the street every day. And isn't that funny how people say not to be an asshole, but they're going to go on to be an asshole? You're 41 and started a race career. My skin met the asshole. But these new new ways kit my... I sound like a fat, hairy, bearded slob. I have to stop talking shit. All right, a couple of blurbs. Whatever they do with cocaine. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to episode 90. What did I say it was? 99 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle <laughs> Podcast. I lost count because I don't have my notes in front of me or anything. I do have a trusty co-host in the, in the studio tonight, in the living room tonight. It's uh, Chris Wiggins, and we have, you heard her, it's Jen. Um, I'm going to let Jen introduce herself real quick. Jen, don't just say my name is Jen. You got to tell us a little bit about you. Are you a motorcyclist? Are you, uh, what's up with you? I like to ride motorcycles. (laughs) Perfect. All right. So that's Jen's cheesy life story. (laughs) Uh, tonight on the show, we got the, uh, motor challenge and, We'll get into that in a second. We're also going to briefly cover Eichma, the three bikes that we've seen uh, coming out of the show, and uh, Twisted Throttles. That was an awesome event, and we're going to have a little bit of uh, you know chat about that, what exactly went down, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. All right. Um, <laughs> let's get into the motor challenge. This week is the f- fifth and final week. Uh, let, let me wrap it up for you. Let me give you a, a quick synopsis of, of how things went down. So last week, we had uh, Chris uh, with the Sizz C1 and me with the awesome Musket V-Twin. And um, let me just say, I came up smoking turds. Chris was like 10 for 10 on this motor challenge. And uh, so week one was the CB750. Of course, he swept the board with that. I got zero. Um, the week two was the, uh, the V4 VTEC against my Norton Rotary. And again, he took, uh, took the medals with that one. Week three was uh, the NS500 against his Rotary, the RE5 from Suzuki. And uh, apparently a lot of people like the, the uh, Hondas because, you know, the V4 VTEC winning out and the NS500 taking multiple people to victories in uh, MotoGP back when it was, you know, not all electronics controlled and whatnot. And last week, the Sizz C1 versus the Musket. And like I said, I came up smoking turds while Chris ran away with the trophy on that one. Everybody picked the C1, um, citing names like Britain and uh, citing words like genius and uh, one-of-a-kind <laughs> developer. So I think I might have picked the wrong the wrong bike. And Phil from Cleveland Moto actually told me that being a former Royal Enfield dealer, 
that the musket is just two bad ideas put into one machine. <laughs> so I lost big time uh, on last week's challenge. And since Chris has already taken the cake with the uh, the CB750, the V4 VTEC, and the and the Sys C1. I said, he wanted to do, he wanted to finish it off. And I said, this is going to be like one of those Viking films or those gladiator films where the dude's like dying on the ground and the, you know, the guy has to finish him off with a big old sword or like a war hammer. So Chris is going to smash my shit to literally pieces this week (laughs) as we just go ahead for shits and giggles and rattle off the last motor challenge. Chris, since you already won anyway, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and run away with the, uh, this week's first motor sounds good i just felt like i like saved the best for last so i wanted to get it out there plus people seem to be really liking it we've gotten some really good feedback on the motor challenge so luckily for those people that enjoy it we've already got some other ideas started to kind of continue the the base idea if you don't like it yeah we're gonna build these bad. Mo- we're gonna build these motors in the from <laughs> yeah. scratch in the garage is how, is how it's gonna work out of wood and plaster yeah um all right, so and something cool about these too, like I've learned a lot of things that I did not know about, like these motors, like the Sizz, for instance. I didn't know had two cranks. Yeah, me it, neither. I didn't know anything that um, wasn't a pile of turds like the Square Four had two cranks. <laughs> but someone is telling me the Suzuki RGV, I believe, five hundred two stroke has two it, cranks. It, it, it's actually kind of a Square Four motor, right? Yeah. So. Um, but being a Honda guy, like I said, uh, the RGV did not come up until the list was already done. So uh, the motor I picked this week, I think, to me, it's kind of one of the weirdest motors of all time. Like it, um, because it is still, but it's still a variant of an internal combustion. It's not a rotary, which I, I don't know if that's considered internal combustion or not. Okay, it's a variant of like a push rod motor or a push rod, a you know piston connecting rod crankshaft motor. Um, but super weird. Uh, what I found interesting though, like when I was doing some research was the bike that I based this off of was a 92. What I didn't know about it was that the race bike version was actually 1979. Uh, it was when it kind of came out it didn't start really racing until 81. Um, fast Freddie Spencer was able to reach a fifth place in 1981, but, um, the bike broke. So that was like the best that they had even ever got to. So it was basically a huge failure. Um, but it's a Honda, like I kind of said, and I know that Mr. Honda wasn't really into failures. He was into like learning. So he didn't totally hate it. So the bike or the motor is the oval piston NR 500. And then the street bike is the original for the idea of the NR 750. So the 500, like I said, it was kind of a failure. It made about 125 horse, um, and it just got its butt kicked. But it was, I mean, in its defense, it was a four-stroke racing against two strokes. Yeah, that's so, that's the one that preceded the my motor, where they decided to go for a two-stroke for a couple of years, and yeah. that, the the NS 500, right, was the one that yes. they were working with. Yeah, that was, and that was a solid motor. But yeah, working against two strokes at the time of yeah. the same displacement, it was like no way. And the concept was really interesting. They were basically told at the time that, you know, again, like Mr. Honda liked four strokes. He was all about four strokes. Like you can look at the production bikes in the day. Like they really didn't do anything um, streetwise for two strokes. So he was told he could do four cylinders and that was it. 
but he knew he wanted more valves um, to kind of get get the flow that he wanted. So he basically built a V8 and connected all the cylinders into ovals. There was two connecting rods per cylinder, eight valves per cylinder, and two spark plugs per cylinder. Um, so it was basically a 32-valve V8 with four pairs of linked combustion chambers. Crap. <laughs> totally insane. Um, Wait, how many valves? Eight valves per cylinder, so a 32-valve motor. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Totally nuts. These cylinders must have been like... A big oval, right? Not just slightly it was only a oval. Five hundred, eight valves. Yeah, I mean it's it's literally like you put two pistons next to one another and filled the gap in. Yeah, There's a picture of it on that one. Oh my god, let me see. Holy crap! Yeah, those the valves just must have been like side by side. Look, they oh, were yeah. they were just like on top of each other. Um, and you have to do round valves because the valves kind of rotate. Wait a minute. So each one piston has two connecting rods yeah that is insane it's like a it's like a weird that's the weirdest thing i've ever seen i mean in theory it would work like your piston doesn't move your your um rings around the piston don't move they're they don't spin the only thing that spins are valves and valves have to continue to rotate to kind of keep everything flat and not get weird spots that's what keeps them like sealing up i guess um jen our our resident technical expert is taking a look <laughs> so yeah the bike was superseded is that the correct word yeah by so? the ns 500 getting fancy by the ns 500 that actually was honda's first 500 cc world championship in 1983 yeah that was uh that was my Spencer. bike man that's the, that's like one of my only <laughs> it was a pretty super rad bike but um yeah that's my only winner <laughs> the, <laughs> I, just, I just thought of that. The only bike that won that. I Other than the Cis, Honda's won every round. Yeah, yeah. The CB750, the VTEC, the NS, and uh, yeah, the Cis. The VTEC wasn't an all-out win, though. There were some votes on both ends. I know, but it still won. <laughs> um, <laughs> NR actually also stood for new racing. Okay. Um. So in... Gosh, where'd I find the year for this? I, it's got to be 92. Someone's going to hate me and tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, in 1992, <laughs> Honda produced. Since you don't have access to the email, I didn't want to tell you, but every week you get email from somebody telling, <laughs> telling you they hate you and you're wrong. I didn't want you to ever find out, but now you know. No, I, I'm, I'm I sure. I was listening to Cleveland Moto and they got some hate mail. Yeah, no, was, we, we never do. Pretty... Actually, everybody's loving. You say wrong shit all the time and people love it. So just say whatever you want. <laughs> So, yeah, in 1992, Honda produced 300 street versions of a 750cc model. One thing I find really interesting about the street version, 1992 from roughly 81 was when they were racing at 80 or 81. I don't know if it went. I read it, and I don't remember. I thought it only raced one year, but it was kind of started in, like, 79. So, and it raced, you know, the results were in 81. But 11 years later, like, again, I don't know if it, failed on the track because of the motor shape or because of the oval pistons or because it didn't really run very well it may have failed because it was a four stroke against two strokes but it, it, yeah. no matter what like honda waited 11 years and then did a street production version of it which is it's super awesome they made 300 they were i thought it said they are so cautious dude like we know it. We know it works. We know people have loved it. 
love it, but let's wait a decade before we actually yeah. give it to them. Like the street versions were fifty grand in nineteen ninety two. Mm. Um, and they did not import any into the United States. And I've only seen one in the United States. I don't know if there are more. I'm sure there are at museums. The one I saw was at Barber. Um, right. Barber has just about one of everything. Right. And then the, or some rich Saudi prince or like some German dude probably has like the other ones. And if they never made it to the States, like <laughs> right. Barber has the one that's here. Um, but the street one was super rad too. It was a 16-inch front wheel, which in 92 was hot. Oh, yeah. I know that from having a CBR 900. The best thing you could do to that bike was put a 600 F3 wheel in the front of it. Um, it had a 8 into 4 into 2 into 1 into 2 exhaust. Vance <laughs> <laughs> and Hines figured that one out. Yeah, right? Um, and it had an undertail exhaust on the street bike, which was super rad. It like came out under the seat. It was actually like all kind of covered in plastic. All you saw was like the two holes come out. So everyone's like, oh, Ducati ripped them off later, which maybe they did, and then everyone ripped them off after that. But Yeah, they're um, like ahead of their time. Yeah, the the tank and seat and stuff was like all one piece. All the bodywork was carbon fiber. Um, it was super rad, but it uh 130 horsepower at over 20,000 RPM. Holy crap. So this thing was not like a low-end torque. Wait, machine. maybe that was the 500. First I read the 500 was only 15,000 RPM. Now this says the final 500 race version was capable of developing 130 at 20,000. So either way, that's super, even 15,000 in, I, know. I mean, I know there's small valves and stuff, but in 1992, that was a lot. Yeah. Um, I know. Again, and I feel like the Hondas, the smaller they are, the higher they rev. Like, just, well, that was kind of, that was like another one of his things. Like he loved little motors that would just turn the bejeez out of them. Yeah. I mean, their F1 motors are like V12s, but they're only like. Two, two liters, liters. Yeah. yeah, and they spin up to like twenty four thousand RPM. Yeah, um, there is a d- replacement for displacement. Apparently, it's uh, RPMs. Yes, yeah, Honda definitely like love that. Like that was a lot of their, like it was the sixties, the RC one sixty six. Yeah, it was like an inline six two fifty that would spin twenty thousand RPM. Yeah, god dang. So to fail again this week, I mean, uh, enter the the challenge and wrap up the finals for this week. Um, I'm entering with a, a bike that I've actually seen in person. Like most of these other ones, well, I guess I've seen some of them in person. Uh, it's the Megola. Um, I don't even know what it was called, but it's the Megola. It was a um, a rotary engine, but not the, not like you think. It was a, not a rotary engine. It was a radial engine. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made it in 1921, although this one says the motorcycle was designed in 1920. Um, and it had five radial motors uh, mounted around the front hub. Now, the front hub, the front axle was basically the crankshaft, and there was like a special tube. The frame carried fuel in it, and it went up to these two canisters on the sides of the forks, which dumped it down into the into the uh the motors here's a pic if you guys want to check it out i've i I have pictures i've seen pictures of this one before it's super cool dude i I mean i have pictures on my computer from when i went to um solvang they have one up there and the dude at solvang has a red one and and i guess they came in like an only red or black and uh let me show you the butterfly valve they're they um basically like dude check this engine it's it's a radial like airplane engine mounted around the hub the way you get gas to it is it like comes and goes into 
Like the, the center of it. The axle, yeah. And the yeah. axle is the crankshaft. But then the drawback is, is that like back in the day when you didn't have stop signs. I mean, when these things came out, roads were like, every road was dirt still. There was very few stop lights or stop signs. And so you the, the protocol in the owner's manual said that you would go and orbit the intersection until like tr- wagons and stuff were out of the way. <laughs> because people still used wagons up until like the 40s, I think, or like 30s. And it's because you can't stop it. Once the front, just like an airplane propeller, once the front wheel stops moving, it stops. So to start it, you had to like kick it up on this like kickstand thing and either spin it or get a running push start. So you you couldn't (laughs) stop it. Once Once you get to your destination, then you stop it. And it really wasn't a problem. In today's society, I think that's why the clutch was invented, you know. And it's so funny, a lot of the motorcycles at the time had clutches, but this one, they're like, ah, screw it, you know. It had the, uh, the, uh, the throttle went from like you know the the what are the, what are these things that you hang on to the handlebars <laughs> <laughs> those handlebar things that you hang on to uh, they were like twelve feet long like bent in half so it had a big old like pipe that went down and when you turned it it would open up this butterfly in the axle and that's how fuel got sucked through to these uh, motors that were mounted radially and each motor I was like 128 cc because it had like 640 i think was the displacement wow. of it yeah 640 in this big old thing and it was saying <laughs> how it front wheel drive motorcycle in a front wheel drive motorcycle the back had this tiny brake like the size of like a, a little kid's razor scooter or like a <laughs> even a small bicycle you know what i mean for this big old you know it weighed a ton because it was like all stamped steel and it had like two like a box frame that you kind of sat in had like a rear weird like wagon seat. It, it really reminded me for the 1920s when we had like sort of modern motorcycles. It reminded me of something like the somebody from the 1800s. I mean, I guess they were born in the 1800s, right? But it, something that they were like, you know, I don't know why people are going to these newfangled motorcycles when you can have our two-wheeled riding coach because it kind of looked like that. It's just the weirdest looking motorcycle for you know being produced in 1921 when stuff had already been being raced in Europe for like you know 20 years so it it uh, there's my failure for this week <laughs> I don't have much more to say about it except for that it's the weirdest one of the weirdest designs and there's probably a reason I think only 2,000 of them were made around 2,000 and only 10 survived because the fuel sits in that fuel tank and of course rust mm-hmm. the first thing to start doing was fuel leaking and then it quit running so they're they just probably fell apart they were made in germany and so just like every piece of german steel like eventually the mud and the mire sucked it into uh, oblivion and rust got them so there's only 10 i've seen one they've got one at the uh solvang museum if you ever head up there and the dude fires it up at the quail and it's so rad he puts it up and you like have to like grab the front wheel and like spin it like starting an old school airplane to get it to start and then once it starts it's just like this loud like insanely loud must have been super annoying to ride being with the motor like right there it's crazy to see like because some of the old rotary airplanes were like that like the whole cylinders and everything turned yeah yeah and then they decided what if we mount the motor and put the prop on the crank right that would be easier yeah but it's also cool like honda again (laughs) honda had that like scooter front wheel that was like a 50cc front wheel to put on like a bicycle. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of like, in a way, the same idea. Yeah. I used to have one of those. Or I don't know. I think it was Honda. And you'd flip the motor down onto the back tire. No, this was about? like a Honda. They, I think they had something like that, too. I don't know if it was Honda or someone else. This was like all in a one front wheel. And you had like a carb and a 
like a oh, throttle. Oh shit! But you would like put it on the front forks of a bicycle, oh. and then it had a throttle cable or so something. So you convert your bicycle to oh, like wow. a motorized. Yeah, to like a yeah. front wheel drive Dude, moped. That's rad. Nice. Hey, speaking of Eichma uh, and the cool things coming out of Eichma, you can convert your your bicycle to <laughs> a, a scooter now. No, uh, I think that concludes our motor challenge. I totally uh, came up smoking turds every week except for the one that I picked, a Honda. <laughs> and um, so I think um, Chris is going to have to figure out what I'm going to have to do. It's It's got to be motor-related and under 100 bucks. but I, I accept my fate. And uh, I'm glad Chris got to bring <laughs> down the hammer. I'm sure everyone was going to vote for the NS500 anyway, So and the NR790,000. So... Uh, yeah, go ahead. It's that bike's interesting too, like 1921, because by 1921, Harley and Indian were well on their way. I know Definitely. having clutches. I mean, I get like I get Honda's idea to convert a bicycle to a, a motorized bicycle. Hey, but dude, Triumph was already building bikes. Yeah, BSA like and BMW was already around. There was like, Thor's Crocker. Yeah, like everybody was existing then, and these guys built something that looks like it came out of like it came, the 19- looks like the eighteen nineties. It does. It looks like it came out of the eighteen nineties Sears and Roebuck catalog. Well, maybe it was like it pushed towards more safety because it's sort of enclosed. And I know during that time there was a lot of ads about how safe riding motorcycles. Oh, yeah. Or so maybe that was kind of like sort of maybe why. Yeah, they're still the safest way you can kill yourself. I mean, it's been proven. <laughs> the funnest, fastest. Yeah, the funnest, fastest, <laughs> safest. Um, so, yeah, moving on from concepts that should have never worked in real life and I should have thought about more before I entered them into a motor <laughs> challenge into concepts that people have put lots of time and money and engineering into ICMA. Uh, where i'm totally unprepared i've like seen a lot of the bikes online but uh i didn't really have time to look at them before this uh airing of this show but i do know that there's the three of us came in here having seen the same bike over and over and over which is the cbr right concept the CB400 concept? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, then the friggin' the Indian, F- the FTR 1200. 1200. Yep. Yeah. And what was the other one we said? The Sport Glide. Sport Glide Harley. Oh, the Sport Glide, yeah. <laughs> Can't forget the Sport Glide. I, nope. <laughs> to me, the only thing Harley did there was they put an ugly fairing on it. What? I, I kind of like it. I might be alone in my opinion, but I actually kind of like the I fairing. like, okay, I should, I should reword that. I think they did a good job in kind of taking the, the regular big batwing fairing that a lot of people like so much and being like, hey, let's shrink it down. Yeah. The concept, I think, is great. Yeah. I I got to see that bike a few months ago, like way before it was out, and I don't know, it just didn't seem to fit. I think they could have put one of their standard Dyna fairings on it and everyone would have a boner over it <laughs> by just putting a different fairing. Like, Yeah. I, well, I mean, but that's just... I don't know. I feel like as a whole and that the batwing fearing reduced, it makes sense to me. Oh, it does. Definitely. And again, like everyone we see hating it is like California Dyna Exactly. Dudes. Exactly. Like the reason those bikes are soft tails and called soft tails is because no one buys Dynas. As much as everyone in California wants to like not believe and they think the Dynas are the greatest thing ever, everyone else in the country buys soft tails. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Soft that's tails. Very true. And baggers, like, Dinas are 
a pretty SoCal thing. Although this weekend, uh, I saw quite a bit of dinos, but I did see like a hell of a ton well, we, of baggers. We were in yeah. SoCal. I know. We we, there's a lot of baggers in SoCal, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. So. The baggers and dinos, the B&D bros. But I, <laughs> I think like Harley had a super cool concept with the sport glide. Like, and I like they have an ad where like the line goes back and forth and you see it with the fairing and bags. Without the fairing and bags. Yeah. Like, super quick release, super versatile. Like, you know, that, I mean, honestly, I've ridden my Dyna across the country. Like, you could take that bike and you could ride across the country. You know, you're not going to have every single item, but you're going to have a lot. Um, just like you would a bagger. It's going to ride just as nice. You're going to have more fun in the canyons. And then when you get home, you can pull off the fairing and bags and ride through town. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, one of the guys from the Motorcycle Man contacted me and said that it reminded him of his brother's, like, 09 uh, Fat Boy, which I thought was kind of weird because the Fat Boys have always been way fatter and had basically those same, like, cast wheels, like those cast discs, whatever. But I kind of get what he's saying is that it's like, it's not that sporty, I guess, is what he's saying. But I, th- I, you know, even me not really digging, you know, Dinah's per se, like, even I kind of thought it It did look kind of versatile. It, to me, it kind of looks like they're taking the Sportster 1200T and a Dyna and smashing it together on the new Softail platform, where, like you said, it's sporty. Like, it's way sportier. Like, I think can, they, they tried to look at where they, again, this sounds bad, but where they went wrong with the switchback. This, yeah. It was a. Oh yeah, yeah. It was right. a, but it was a miniature road king. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people were hating on it because it had the bigger, wider front end, had the big old headlight on it, and of course, like the diehard Dyna guys are so narrow minded, they wanted to see like a Dyna, like yeah. a California style Dyna with bags, right. and that's not what they I, did. I remember going. This looks like a soft tail on a Dyna right like, frame, and it. So, I, I think the Sport Glide, like they took. The bagger that is successful and and the sportster that is successful yeah and they and match the, them the idea of what the switchback was and like mm. what people liked about it and that was its versatility and put it together yeah yeah i absolutely. think larry from the throttled podcast had a switchback forever and he dug that thing everyone um, i know that has one really likes yeah it. but well because it was like a tour bagger but not a yeah. big tour bagger it was like but when you the- pulled the bags off it still had the big wide front end and mm-hmm. it was still kind of a bigger bike where this one you pull the bags off and it looks like a lowrider yeah oh yeah no i dig it i mean it, i think that i think that you guys are right they took they took like the most popular aspects of each model and slammed it onto one because you want it to be like the lowrider and like cool and sexy those wheels that are on it are like cray cray right <laughs> yeah and um, yeah. i think those are really cool that little fairing because everybody wants a dyna fairing but they don't want a big necessarily like that everybody like the uh fx well, those LP are like very like when those things were late 80s early 90s like everyone's putting repops on their dynas but in reality harley's not gonna make like that thing, like looks dated, and it, it looks good, and it looks good when guys do them on their bikes. But I don't see a factory like Harley putting that on anything. Yeah, and I think a lot of people m- are, might miss the Sportster 1200T that were looking for like a sports, a sporty that you could cruise like a like a bagger or like a road king or something. And then everybody likes bags. Like uh, that's like one of the number one accessories that gets Absolutely. bought is bag. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a lot of chrome shit for the motor, it's like bags. Like the practical one is like bags and bars, right? So, yep. 
so I think, yeah, they took everything and smacked it on to this one one ride. And I think it can be probably uh, like a new sexy soft tail, but, um, you know, have the practicality of a, a little bagger. Well, and another perspective also that um, I was thinking about is some people are so intimidated by the really big bikes. Mm. And this is like an easy low price point way for them to get into that and stepping stone up to bigger bikes. Yeah. So I think that that was another, you know, idea that maybe Harley had. Right. Taking and taking advantage of that, like they say 90% more rigid and like, you know, I forget the degrees depending on the model the you know, that you can lean it over. So you still can mm-hmm. be sporty. You can still ride yep. it in a Canyon like a like a Dyna or a Sportster, but have the convenience of a bagger. Absolutely. So, yeah, another one. Well, the Scrambler eleven hundred. So the Scrambler has, and that's uh, right. What was the displacement of the Scrambler now? Was it a well, nine hundred or they had a nine hundred and the sixty two was a four hundred. And I always used to say on the show right off the bat, like episode one, is it like all the hipsters taking their heavy ass bikes out? You know, back in the day, a scrambler was what four or five hundred max. Like you know, you know, you probably wouldn't take anything bigger than like a Triumph or old KR Harley out to scramble, like in the desert and stuff. And then I was like, oh, at least they came out with the sixty-two. But then I found out that the sixty-two was the same thing. It was only ten pounds lighter than the nine hundred. <laughs> you know, the four hundred and the nine hundred was the same thing with different size jugs, and that was it. So it was still a heavy piece of crap that you couldn't scramble. But now they're getting the 1100. I think they're trying to compete a little bit now with BMW's R9Ts because everybody wants like a, I don't know, everybody seems to want like a bigger displacement bike. The Honda Africa Twin, I said that they were going to have like a big tank or like a concept. And they showed an adventure concept last year at uh, IMS that had these like super cool colors. And they've came out with that. It's all crazy. So what's different from that in the regular Africa Twin, though? Uh, the wheels, I think, are these are bigger wheels, I think, for actual, like, off-roading. And uh, the other ones, they did come with cross-spoke, but I think these are, like, mag or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'd like to read some of the specs on this one of these days and see. Because that concept was dialed in. When you, when you saw it next to the other one, you realized it had, like, a lot better components on it, bigger wheels. It had, like, it didn't have, like, the street dirt tire it was like specific you could take it off-roading for sure and not just like on a fire road um the new honda cb1000r let's talk about that real quick i want to say that i think husqvarna finally pulled the trigger on that spart spart farter the uh spart peeling is that what the hell they called that thing they did a yeah they did a little whole series didn't they they had the Spark Peelin and the something else that I can't remember, but they were both something Peelins. And were they twins, right? Yeah, one and one was like an off-road or supermoto-y, and one was like Cafe Racer. And yeah. I think they finally pulled the trigger on that after like concepting it for two years because the Honda CB1000R looks like they're – it's <laughs> like, oh, crap. People are – like even Honda, the most boring motorcycle company in the world, is now making a bike that looks as cool as ours. We better like launch that thing this year and finally just say it's going to be a model. The so, only thing like – so the CB – it's a CB1000R this year. Mm-hmm. They added an R to the end of it. Mm-hmm. But what do I always say about the Honda CBs? Why are they 50 horse less and 100 pounds more? And 100 pounds more. So the 2017 CBR1000RR makes 189 horse, 
the CB1000R, 145. That's a difference <laughs> of 44. Yeah. I was a little off on the weight. The CBR1000 rolls in at a quite hefty, I guess not, you know, all of them are about the same. And I know I don't have headlights, but geez, my Sportster weighs this. 430 pounds, and the CB1000R, 467. So yeah. 37 more pounds. Good grief. And it's, I, I mean, I get I get maintenance and, you know, maintenance intervals and longevity. Um, you got to believe that some of it is, I mean, it, it looks massive, actually. I mean, it looks like a huge bike, and it doesn't look like the CB1. It's a naked bike. Why is it looking huge? Listen, that CB1000 did look pretty trim. I mean, it looked lean. They're going with the fancy, like the uh, FZ07. They're dropping the taillight, you know, yeah. the uh, license plate mm-hmm. down so they can truncate the end. Like the, I, I bet loves. they're going to release this, and then they're going to ask themselves why Yamaha's killing them with that FZ1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The new. You mean the new MT10? Sure. That's another thing. Yamaha, for some reason, um, they're getting rid of the FZ lineup. Well, they're not getting rid of it. They're keeping it exactly almost the same except for the uh, FZ07. And they're going with the European naming this year, which is MT. And they've been MT in uh, Europe now for the same amount as they've been FZ here. And for some reason, they're just deciding to... So Yamaha, thanks for trying to confuse the shit out of us less yeah <laughs> i don't know why people do that like by keeping <laughs> yes like even honda with the cbr and the fireblade and the fireblade yeah like, well yeah you can't like it's when the you, same bike man the veradero and the klr so you know what i mean like they're just so put weird. one name on on them like no one yeah even though honda doesn't make the klr you know what I'm, you know what i'm talking yeah about, like right? still it, it, it's so annoying so i'm as much as i like having an fc09 and i know that call out like good call it an mt now you're gonna have an <laughs> mt09 um i don't know if anybody have, has ever seen a, an ftr 1200 over the past couple of days like on bike exif or cycle world or asphalt and rubber or any any <laughs> website like every website um but it's out the indian scout ftr 1200 um rolling sands i do believe chris told me he designed the brakes on that bike i thought the wheels no, no, those are RSD wheels. I designed the crown cut rotor. Oh, baby. Oh, okay. A while ago. I mean, that's a, the, just the outside shape of it. Um, it's from Lindell Brakes. And the we were I was doing some contract work for him a couple years ago, or maybe more than a couple now. And, yeah, they wanted to do, like, a cool shaped cut rotor instead of playing round. Yeah. Um, so that's what we came up with. You know what? That kind of fit his system. Yeah, it's a it's a bitchin' looking bike. I love street trackers. I love that there's a factory street tracker. Yamaha had one a couple years ago. Ne- I mean, it's never made production. It's the DT07, and uh, yeah. and then so this one, the FTR 1200. Who knows if it'll ever make production? But it looks cool. You know what I noticed? The first thing was that the frame on all the other ones, um, since they're like cruiser frames, this one's actually like uses the. M- uh, motor as part of like a uh, you know an integrated part of the the frame system like a sport bike does. So that specific one is like hand built, like in the race shop where the race Indians are built. Probably um, they just put a twelve hundred Scout motor in it instead of a seven fifty FTR motor. Mm-hmm. It's got the same forks, same um, brakes, same RSD wheels. Um, and I talked to one of the guys that was worked on that project pretty heavy. He actually said the. They're talking about it like a semi-production version. Um, he said it'll look a lot the same, but 
you know, the exhaust is going to have to change the taillight. I don't even know if that one has one or if they do, it's like small LEDs. Do, yeah, because I don't see headlights, turn signals. I mean, this ain't, doesn't look like a street legal bike. And then everyone else is like losing their shit. But if it is production, what's it going to be? 25, 30 grand for a street tracker? Like or more with that yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. it's super cool and congrats to indian for doing it but all the fanboys it's not what you're trying to make it out to be and maybe it will be in a year or two years but i doubt it like it's gonna change a lot if it ever comes to production yeah it says that this one basically like you said it does use basically the same frame as the tracker the flat tracker but with the 1200 motor in it shaving uh 117 pounds off of it Weighing in at only 427 pounds. So that's perfect for hooligan racing if it ever becomes street legal. Otherwise, what hooligan... Except what kind of douchebag would ride a $35,000 bike yeah. hooligan racing? <laughs> you Someone know, with way too much yeah, money. <laughs> even, if, even if they didn't have to pay for it, like I'll still beat you and then I will make fun of you for yeah. it. Well, if, you, if they could get this down to Sportster 1200 uh, monies, which, God, this thing, not likely. It won't happen. I mean, it, mm. it is. Like, it's a purpose race-built hooligan bike. Like, yeah. if they make enough of them for them to be considered production anyway. Um, well, then you just have a spec class. I mean, that's not... I mean, I kind of hope they do make it production just because I'm a big fan of race bikes anyways. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think it would be awesome. I like the XR1200, but that thing, even after you... Turd? Yeah, even after you bought it, you still had to like put five grand into it to make it like and race ready. Every tracker that I've ridden on the street sucks. Mm. Oh, and by the way, the tires on that <laughs> DOT street legal bike aren't DOT or street legal. Wow, geez. So it's just a concept. So to talk about point. riding dirty. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, they're big well, it's with. It's a uh, concept. I know they're big with Dunlop, <laughs> and uh, Dunlop was going to have to make DOT flat track tires oh. if that's where they're going to want to run. Are the DT ones? Those aren't. Those aren't DOT, nope. are they? The only flat track ones I know of that are DOT are Shinkos. Hmm. Dunlop used to. The old uh, K180s were, were DOT. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the K. Um, no, it's cool. And it's, you know what I really like about it? Being like a Harley rider and around all that, maybe Harley will do something. Yes, yes. Like, I agree. that's the coolest thing about it. You know, and everyone's hey, like. that new triple thumper that. <laughs> They've been working on. We'll, we'll did come you take out. a picture of that triple single thumper last week? I did, and I sent it to the motorcycle man, and I said, "Here's what I was talking about, uh, dude. If you guys saw Except the term thumpers for single, I think I, I know him. that's it's why like you that. knew, but they were like, I know, what? They, that's why the triple thumper. That's what was the whole funny thing to me about that. But the triple thumper rotary. Uh, so what is this guy on? Is this, is this a Honda? Is this a Moto Guzzi? Nope, know. it's the Vitpilin. Yeah, those are the Huskies. And by the way, I've seen a bunch of Husky... The helmet was gross. Yeah, everything was gross about that. Uh, I've seen a bunch of... Especially his body position. Husky 701s cruising around lately, around, like, up and down the street. I think because they're they're street legal and they're relatively affordable. Yeah. It was cool because I was like, you know, they just rip up the road and take them off the cliff and then come back and... But they're singles, man. That is a... Big single That's a big, It's like the biggest single and still in production. And I think probably 7 or 750 was the biggest single ever, you know, anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think like Harley V-Twins are bigger per cylinder, but. Yeah, that thing is so rad. Okay. The last one I think we're going to talk about because there's so many still and, and uh, we still want to talk about what we did this weekend. But the, uh, the Z900, now that thing's been showcased as a naked, but the Z900 RS Cafe 
brings like a new aspect to that already bitchin' looking uh, retro that's gonna come supercharged one of these days. And I just love this thing. Reminds me of a modern day Eddie Lawson special. Do you remember the CB four hundred that was like early two thousands or like maybe even mid to late two thousands? A naked one. Uh, it looked like a cafe. It looked just like this, but it was a CB400. Dude, there's a guy when I first moved up here and I went on the like very first uh, Norton or the Run to the Roses that's uh, put on by the SoCal Norton Owners Club. Yeah, the dude had one, a CB400. They only brought him into the States for like two years, but it looked just like this. It was like a cafe hmm. replica, but a 400. And uh, yeah, his name is Dennis Karachuk, and uh, he probably still, you know, you, you can see him tooling around like. El Monte or Alhambra. That's where he lived, Alhambra. And so this is what this reminds me of. Like a, This kind of looks like a cool Eddie Lawson replica, but a little bit... I can't tell if it's older or newer, you know what I mean? The Eddie Lawson just looked more square, so you knew it was like, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s. But this one really is a good... I think it's a good retro. I think it's retro. more like 70s style. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Kind of rounded. Yeah. Where the Lawson was definitely like 80s, yeah, like square headlights, squared, squared fairing. Yeah. Which was what the bike he rode looked like, so it totally fit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be our ICMA wrap-up. Well, I will definitely look, because there's so many more bikes that, you know, people are going to want to talk about, and we'll get hate mail about if we don't talk about. So, uh, we'll get the, ba- the main two. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll get into that stuff. But uh, the big news is... What happened this weekend at Twisted Throttles down in San Diego, California. And here to talk about that now is uh, your co-host, brought to you by RP Enterprises, Daily Bikers, and Log Cabin, Maple Syrup, Chris Wiggins, and Jen. <laughs> I don't... Are we... What? I don't even know what we're talking about, though. <laughs> so, Twisted Throttles. Twisted Throttles. So, we start from it the top? showed up Friday. Friday we got down yeah, there. Yeah, it started. Um, Unloaded. Yeah. Um, and then rode into the town of Ramona. Old town. It was Ramona. about like 10 miles. No, it was 4.8. Oh. <laughs> about wow. 10 round trip. <laughs> Somebody was looking at a map. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and they had a cool little, like, little special bar open and then they had a burlesque show at the local theater and an art show which was super cool um gotta meet some of my favorite artists actually the only guy i gotta meet was nate bickham yeah, yeah. and nate, then uh, nate was pretty funny yeah and then uh let's see brad was there the photographer bradley p bradley and patrucic yeah yeah i'm glad you said that <laughs> <laughs> and uh and Caroline, that we've talked about on the show, she had some stuff set up that she sent down from Canada. They auctioned that off. Um, so that was kind of cool, like a cool little pre-party. And then went back, camped out. Saturday was the most of the events. I think on Sunday they did a group ride. I came home. But uh, Sunday morning we got up. We got teched. We even talked Jen into teching the Sportster. <laughs> And we made some passes on the eighth mile drag strip, so that was yes, super we fun. Did. Oh yeah! <laughs> um, oh yeah! <laughs> so yeah, that that was pretty fun. And I have to, I do have to say, uh, Friday night it was cool. And it was, um, I told Brian, "Hey, listen, man, this is the first year of this thing. It can only go from here." They had classic bikes 
which was like one really shitty looking SR250 over at the <laughs> Wise and Brews. He said that was supposed to be the classic bike side, but it really turned out to be um, mostly Harleys, I would say. Yeah. Um, the uh, Clint August from KGB 101 was there. 101 KGB Classic Rock San Diego. Um, he was there and he was emceeing most of the event on Friday and then he was sticking around uh, for Saturday and I, th- I don't know if he was there Sunday but that was really cool having you know a presence there and obviously like they wanted to talk to us and find out a, lot, a little bit about us and he it was cool that he went around and interviewed most of the people in the crowd that he uh, could find and um, you know I, I thought that was cool and the fact that he talked to us about the podcast he talked to Chris about racing he talked to the artists so they had that covered the burlesque show was actually an ex- exercise in pure physical talent. Um, I couldn't believe like what some of those girls were doing on stage. Like, I mean, but it was good. It was not. No, it was like it was super good. classy and talented. Oh yeah, no, no, it was like, totally classy. I just yeah. like to do the stuff that they were doing and be like mostly naked. I was like, oh my god, how how do you do that? <laughs> like, I don't know. I was pretty amazed and yeah they kept it classy they kept it yeah. funny like it was really really cool hungry um, eyes yeah hungry that eyes. was a good one <laughs> and it was body positive so i thought that was yes. pretty cool um the artwork was phenomenal like chris said dude all the artists that we basically follow on instagram was there plus rick ortiz i knew he does cruise armor but he is uh at sae underscore dot ca you'll hear a little bit of him later in the show um, but yeah, he did, he has some pretty rad art, Bradley Petruchik and of course, Nate Bickham too, great photographer, illustrator and Caroline, she's just the, you know, she does like this funky, cool art, the auction. I, how much did that go for? Do you remember? So, she got like five seventy five total. Oh yeah. Rad. The one thing was like 300 bucks. Oh, that's yeah. rad. Yeah. That, the auctioning part of that whole thing was awesome. It was yeah. so cool. Yeah. F- uh, <laughs> Like, the best part is that it went to, like, a charity. So, yeah, that was yeah. definitely cool. Who, uh, if anyone out there knows who won the Jeffrey Carver print, that would be super rad. If, if no one yeah. wants it, yeah. no wants to sell it. Yeah. <laughs> Tag him on Instagram. Let him know where you are. We'll send our hitman to kill you. Oh, my God. I want that slip. <laughs> Whoops. Um, yeah. And then Saturday was pretty rad. Uh, I'd have to say Chris, uh, the Mad Dog Wiggins, uh, running some pretty consistent strips rips down the drag strip that was easy to say um what were your times man i was super stoked to see you out there you know ripping that thing with a slipping clutch uh the clutch actually i like freed up the cable side a bunch of play and the clutch felt pretty good Mm. and i was my best time uh i was running some low seven nines I was nice. like, I want to get seven eight. I want to get seven eight. And, and this gotta, is in the nice. mile, dude. This is the mile. <laughs> no way. I got a seven eight nine nine, but a lot of like seven nine oh seven nine ones. So yeah. pretty consistent, yeah, pretty which cool. was I, that's what I was super stoked on. My best on my iron eight eighty three was nine ninety. Not too shabby. Not too bad. I know. Bad I didn't even see it. My dad seen it. <laughs> and there was some pretty rad bikes. Got a lot of pictures of them. I'll stick them up uh, when I get the article written uh, a couple years from now. <laughs> I'll stick up the pictures. But there was some rad. Do that Suzuki, that 1100. Yeah. Dude, that Brad G- got a sick picture of him, GS, too. Yes, right? Oh, that thing was super old. Yeah. Rad. Yes. And uh, there was a dude on a V-Rod there. You couldn't even hear him. Like It sounded like a quiet turbo spooling up whenever he'd like you would give it the the beans to like go but uh he was a couple dudes with full-on luggage on the back popping wheelies and oh, stuff yeah. it was pretty funny so that was rad to watch lots of 
few booses out there. You guys in Wisconsin uh, may know what that's all about. Wisconsin. I just Chris did. Uh, he liked some of my photos from the drag show. Oh, did you stick them on there? Yeah, <laughs> I, I got some rad photos of some of the the booses side by side. Um, so that was rad. It wasn't just all Harleys, but it was mostly Harleys. So that's the that's the and cool thing. Is lots of street bikes. Yeah, which was you know I think the main kind of goal was yeah. to very few drag run which brung. Yeah, yeah, there fun. were like basically. Five yeah. real drag bikes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else is just fun times. So it was pretty cool. Did you guys see that like four foot tall leprechaun on that one? Like, yes. God, he was like on a Don't street be glide. Don't be I hating. ain't hating, dude. That guy could dude. probably pick me up and throw me a quarter mile, and he was just <laughs> ripping. He was on like a road. Was he on a street glide or he road was, glide? He was on a dyno, wasn't he? No, no, it was no, like a it road was definitely glide. like a. Pretty, it was a road glide or yeah. street glide for sure. And he was just like hanging off he looked like he was literally hanging on the ape hangers and his tiptoeing he was like i don't know he had to be he he was taller than me but he was probably only like 411 because i'm only like 37 and uh yeah dude he was just ripping that thing was just like flying down the drag strip and if he hadn't have been so chunky he would have just been like flying behind it i think like <laughs> like a cape or a wet towel you know like it was rad watching him rip down the strip but that was pretty rad um then uh the festivities was pretty cool. I ate the biggest fucking burrito that I've ever seen. I said uh, I ordered a burrito and a quesadilla because I hadn't eaten all day, and I was like, "Oh shit, I'm you know I'm gonna need something for dinner later too." And so I got a freaking quesadilla that was the size of a goddamn pool floaty. Like the thing was huge. So I was like, "Hey Chris, I, I got this burrito that's the size of a freaking NFL football. So I'm gonna go ahead and we can eat." you know, share this quesadilla later after I sleep on it and you uh, tell me behind your uh, sports turn on it. It was huge. That's how big it was. But, um, yeah, so that was fun. Ripping around. I had so much fun just ripping around the little campground area. It was, it was out in Barona on the reservation in this little valley, so you know there's not going to be any noise complaints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank um, God. <laughs> I think it's a good – it was – not that hard to get to. We ran into Bri Viffer. You'll hear from him too. Um, took him about an hour from Temecula or Marietta to get there. Um, I think almost from anywhere in San Diego, it's probably an hour drive, but it's quiet out there. There was nothing to do. The stars, I rode with my headlight off a couple times coming back from town just to see how bright the moon was. And yeah. I could see, like I didn't need my headlight even there in the, in the twisty Canyon. So, um, the full moon oh was super God, bright that it night. It was so rad. It was and perfect. No light pollution out there, so it was yeah. totally perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday, I think, Chris, you you did pretty good at the flat tracks, right? Uh, I did okay. My I think the bike got hot and the ignition wasn't liking it, so I got to check it out. It started running bad in the Hooligan Main. Oh, no. So, But I got second in the uh, open amateur. Radical. Sportster. Yes. <laughs> so that was fun. Um yeah, it was did you cool. race two classes or one? I did two. Okay. Open amateur and the hooligan class. Yeah, and rad. they were supposed to be on the big track. I know yeah. uh, there were some issues with the guys working the track, and it's a it's a common thing around flat track. Like a lot of the people know how to work uh, car tracks. Yeah, and it was you know we went out and tried practicing, and I even like I had my truck out there like trying to mm-hmm. help wheel pack, and we went out and practiced on it, and it was just brutally rough. Like, yeah. yeah, you it could w- see from spectator point of view. How rough it was on yeah. you guys. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been good racing. Like. Yeah, no. No, I saw you actually kind of get bucked right before you pulled off. You were you spun a couple laps. The last one, you you caught that dude that was out there on that other 
I forget was he he must have been on that was it a black Dinah that he was no it wasn't yeah. a Dinah. Was it yeah, a it was a black Dinah. That was. He was ripping and he wasn't letting off and he was still like I could see him just fighting for control the whole way down, even the straight where you should be yeah. kind of like settling in and getting ready for the turn. He was still like getting bucked and like hammering back and forth. And I was like, oh shit, this does not look good. Yeah, there were some hiccups here and there. And so overall, um the track the inside track was rad, but the outside track was just really like bumpier than the x games <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know it was real so, bad yeah mm-hmm. um i did uh what i do best which is rip off a couple crummy practice laps with a foggy visor <laughs> and then uh in the heat race i went out and uh promptly right out of turn two i said hey look there's some shit so i went ahead and ate it and uh bent my <laughs> fucking shifter i went i tried to get back up and jump back on and get back in the in the race but everything was all twacked up and I ended up snapping my foot peg off. So I ran back to the pits cause I had to basically like put my whole bike back together. I had taken that old guy made me take my headlight off and take my brake lever off. And now I snapped my peg and <laughs> everything else off. So I was like, I better go fix this. So I didn't get to stick around and watch to see any of the cool stuff. I didn't get to see Chris race. Did they do doubles racing too? Did they end up doing that? I think they ended up not doing it. Okay. By the time it was all done, they didn't okay. worry about it. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about that because I totally wanted to do that if they did it. But I, my mind at that point was like, fix this so that you can ride home now. I looked on the maps and it was approximately 140 miles. And I was mm-hmm. like, I got to get my peg to stay on now for 140 <laughs> miles. So I need to focus on that. So that's how rad I did. And I think you hit the little slick spot in the backstretch. And that's the thing with flat track. Like if there's a little bit of like moisture in a little muddy spot yeah like it's it's super slick and there's just nothing you can do yeah oh that's where i fell right the dude in yeah. front of me i saw him going sideways and i was like holy shit he's gonna f-. and right <laughs> as i was thinking fall i was on the ground and like that was it was that fast and oh, and the guy man. behind us jeff uh patrick who is like one of our first uh facebook uh likes ever i think he's like number four person to like the page he happened to be uh on his triumph cub behind us and he said he saw both of us go sideways, and he just bailed off the track. And unfortunately, the dude in front of me didn't eat it. It was me. And I was like, damn. So, And the, and it's funny because it wasn't hard dirt. It was like super soft. So I'm super surprised my peg snapped off. I was like, that irritated me. So, when it digs in and like hooks, though, it'll be weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I think the, the uh, venue and the festivities, like there was a stunt show. There was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was amazing. You know, I mean, they really had like a lot of stuff planned and a lot of stuff going on. Um, so I think, like, with some honing and some organizing, look at those crazy bars on that little sporty. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they, and they had plenty of bands playing all day. Yes, yeah. Uh, they were like at the end of the drag strip. Like, I had, I don't know, that was a weird. Like, they could have been in a better central location, maybe. But I think that's all stuff that'll like get worked out. Like, it, it's a super great venue and it's not that far like i know a lot of the riders didn't want to go but they go to del mar and really like for us in la and orange county like it's not really that much further than it is going to del mar no like if you go to del mar for the afternoon session and you spend three hours sitting in traffic you might as well be driving some cool country back roads yeah yeah that was my favorite thing when we i rode back home and i was like man i just went through the mountains and canyons and along the pacific coast highway in one day yeah. Like that's rad. Yeah. That's cool. Dude, those oak canyons, that's what Paul mentioned too, uh, is that those canyons, they're just like full of oaks. They're like twisty. The The scenery is beautiful yeah, out there. Yeah, it really is. And they took off from there uh, 
and went on to Julian, which is like, you know, you just keep going up the 78 to Julian, and there you have it. Um, leaving out of there, man, like, we ditched out kind of late. You know what I mean? We bailed out. All of us left pretty late on Saturday. Yeah. Well, I stayed the night down there. Okay, yeah. Me and Chris had to <clears throat> drive back home, and I told Chris, he's like, dude, we can fit your bike. And I was like, no, dude, I rode it down here. I got to ride it back, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I figured, like, if I was out in the middle of the desert or something and I had crashed, like, I'd need to get it home. Um, and it wasn't, like, that bad. It wasn't, like, devastation or the motor blew or something like that. It was just a foot peg. So I regretted, like, 12 times not taking him up on his <laughs> offer on the way home. It was so cold. Oh, and uh, I just, I put my, actually, my, the foot peg that broke off, luckily, is by my, uh, side stand so instead of putting it on the foot peg i'd shift and then stick my foot kind of on the bolts to hold everything together and i ended up i had the worst fucking headache that night too like i had the tear i was like going delirious and so i didn't look forward to riding two plus hours home on that but chris had mentioned it too and i think maybe we were dehydrated either that yeah. or we like ate some bad food but dude i got turned around at a corner like right there in town where the 78 is and it i think it was i looked at my map and i didn't have like earbuds or anything in so i just looked at it and it said to turn onto the street and go to the 78 so i did exactly what it said threw my phone back in my pocket and took off on my merry way had i had headphones or like earbuds in it probably would have gone like bloop, 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 turn you know like redirecting yeah. turn down this street but since i just threw it back in my pocket and hauled ass i ended up going the wrong way on the 78 no for way. about 25 or 30 <sighs> minutes so i added a whole hour to my trip mm. for nothing and then chris texted hey i'm just now leaving i'll go the 15 in case you break down and i was like dude at this point he's gonna be home three hours before i am but dude i when i didn't know i was going the wrong way i was just tearing it up through the hills as fast as I could go and it was it made my headache go away it was like the best feeling and I don't know that I've never been on that part of the road but it was just so like the curves you could see my head my headlight was lighting it up so far ahead that I could haul ass and I wasn't scared of like there was a couple of turns that came up pretty quick but I mean I could see them and and so it was just so much fun riding out there that the road out from Ramona to Julian I can recommend it even uh in the dark at high speed when I don't know where I'm going because I had to do it and come back that way. So nice. yeah, it was really, really fun. And then I finally hit that same fucking intersection an hour later or whatever, turned the right way. And then Chris had actually stopped and I, I think I might've passed him on the way. What time did you end up getting home that night? Oh man, like 1230 or one. Oh yeah. Cause see, I, I think I rolled in here around 1130. I like, so I must, I must've passed you. You yeah, were probably way ahead I was of me having like, I had like a headache and a stomach yeah. ache and like I don't know if I ate something weird or what or didn't eat enough or didn't drink enough but I yeah. like I was I didn't feel dehydrated like I kept I had to pee and I kept drinking water and it wasn't super hot. Yeah, no, it was it was great weather it and really I was. I had yeah. I didn't feel either but I did. I had the same headache and yeah, I just I didn't feel good. That's why yeah. riding home it I was like why didn't I I'm all freezing and I was like why didn't I just say yes to I Chris? made it to Temecula and I like pulled over and I found like a semi dark parking lot. And I like, I'm like, I'm going to sleep for 30 minutes. And I set my alarm for 30 minutes and I woke up and I was like, 30 more minutes. 30 more minutes. <laughs> and I ended up like, I spent about an hour there and I got up and I started driving home and I was like, I feel so much better right yeah. now. Yeah. 
Dude, the next day I didn't feel so hot. It might have been that like burrito. Then we got, I got them both from the same place. Maybe, maybe. they, did, maybe they yeah, didn't I wash their totally hands. Fine. I feel totally yeah. fine. Maybe they didn't wash their hands. It was like a hands. headache. So that's what was weird. Yeah. yeah. That's what got me all turned around at the gas station too. My head hurt so bad that like my eyes were throbbing and I couldn't like, I just couldn't like think, you know? And that's yeah. why I just looked at the map and was like, okay, I'll do what you say. Whatever you say. <laughs> Tell me to rob a bank. I'll probably do it. <laughs> but yeah, so that was... Uh, that was that. Let's get into some of the interviews from the show. What do you guys say? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Our first artist is coming up. Get out your pen and paper. He's about to lay down some uh, contact information. Most of his work is large format on wood and acrylic. Take it away. My name is Rick. Uh, Ortiz, mainly uh, my middle name is James. Everybody calls me Rick James. You can find me on Instagram at Rick0760 or SAE, which stands for Standard American Edition. It's actually SAE underscore CA. And you can find me online on Instagram. And you can also check him out online at blackbird5150.com. All right, let's jump into our interview with Rick. We're here at Twisted Throttles. It's about to get crazy. We're trying to trying to get it before all the hubbub <laughs> begins. But I'm here with Rick. Um, Rick, first, right off the bat, I love your stuff. Can you describe your stuff a little bit, your, the style of art that you do and the mediums that you use? Absolutely, absolutely. Mainly, I paint on all wood, so you'll see a lot of birch. And I paint on pretty much anything that's a, a standard size of a two by four by four by four. So if you see my work, it'll all be standard size and you'll, you can recognize it by that. A lot of my stuff is um, basically influenced by um, other up and coming artists uh, all around. And I believe there's a guy out of um, Ireland named uh, Ari and Ari Gilbert, I believe. So I, I, I like his work. There's a mother artist out of LA uh, and, and out of Spain. I love their motorcycle art, and art, I think motorcycle art is just the way to go because it's a lot of fun. I love your stuff. Actually, I've been looking at it since you brought it in here, and I have to say that it captures, it doesn't just capture like, you know, another bike doing another thing. It captures like these moments or like actually kind of these feelings, you know, that, that motorcycles bring about. Um, how long have you been painting? Because they're good. It's not just like, you, it doesn't look like you just started yesterday. So <laughs> how long have you been painting? You know, uh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Um, they aren't just paintings to me. They're uh, moments that happen in time. And if you ever like uh, looked at the art of David Mann and what's going on in his world and uh, see what's happening, man, you'll see the moments in time that really influenced him and made him laugh mainly. And uh, so those are the parts. I, I think I'm just getting coming into my own and uh, finding out a little bit more about myself and what is uh, funny to me and what, what I enjoy about motorcyclists and motorcycle riding. Uh, you know, there's a lot of funny people out there and they all have their own way of doing it, whether they're surfing their motorcycles or uh, wheeling their motorcycles or whatever they're doing. I, 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 I get a big kick out of uh, you guys, everybody's show. Everybody seems to have a show and I love everybody's show whether you've got a purple bike or uh, a, a bike with um, uh, apes ape hangers on it that are so damn big you don't know what to do with it uh, I, I enjoy seeing it's almost like a comedy show just walking around uh, a motorcycle events like twisted throttles or born free 
right yeah yeah i know definitely it, it, it is fun to look at it try to figure out what a what they were thinking and b man i gotta get this i gotta capture this for everybody to see um so how long have you been painting and is motorcycles the first thing that you started painting i think ladies are the first thing i've heard <laughs> <laughs> right, right. you know they're uh, you know what, what can i say um, but after that, I think uh, motorcycles and ladies, I right. think, is the way to go. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the ladies have dudes, so they're a lot of fun. And I've got some new paintings coming up that are just, uh, I, I've always got some new idea. And So about uh, roughly how long have you been doing these and how long have you been exhibiting your art? Okay. You know, I've been illustrating since probably 1990. And um, it's, been, it's been a labor of love and... Looking in, I'm originally from Austin, Texas, so I started off with band flyers, and I'm still I still do band flyers for a lot of bands around town, and uh, so you'll see them out. But back back in the day, in the late '90s, uh, you'll see a lot of bands that were up on the that were being displayed out on telephone poles and buildings and and in duplication. So we would cover a whole wall with one with one flyer and it was amazing so you'd see bands like uh, Nirvana back in the day uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, there's so much more and then I just got into paint and it was I was long gone after that so I'm still doing the artwork on uh, on paint and I mean on uh, flyers and stuff like that computer work uh, but I love getting out just getting beyond the computer and painting yeah I have to say these these pieces that you've done is definitely nothing that you can really I mean you can see a thousand people's, uh, you know, printings of or, or prints of stuff that they've done, but these are really like one of a kind. They're they're awesome looking, and the fact that they're on wood, they got this rich feel, and I have to say that they aren't like anything that's on canvas or anything that's you know just a print on on paper or on board. They got their own. I've, I have never seen anything quite like it. It's almost like. I don't know, cool graffiti or cool, just like the coolest sort of like, you know, you find you find something that works well, and boom, there you go. You're right, right. Well, they're huge, and I normally paint big. I paint a lot of murals, and I have a ton of paint through L.A. and Koreatown and downtown by Venice Beach. So you can see a lot of my artwork out on the walls, whether it's, um, you know. Are you know, guys going to edit me out of this? Sure. Yeah. I need you guys on the Oh, okay. Time. <laughs> Thanks for hey. All right, I pardon the interruption. Brian came in and nabbed us uh, for a group photo, so uh, <laughs> a little awkward. Um, so you were saying your stuff can be seen all over from Venice Beach, L.A., Koreatown, all over. So you were you active, like, community street artist at one time? No, 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 never like that. It was always uh, on a commercial basis. Oh, okay. So. That's rad. And... I mean, is your stuff still up? I mean, if people Absolutely. go down, oh my Absolutely. God. I'm gonna I'm gonna make up a walking tour. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get with Rick later and we'll find out where this is. And we'll make a walking tour. So if anybody's visiting the LA or SoCal area, we, you can uh, check this stuff out. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome. Absolutely. Um, so now, being here at Twisted Throttles, this is pretty rad. We we were actually literally just surrounded by a bunch of ladies and a bunch of bikes. Are you gonna go away from this event with more material? You think, or or is this just you know overwhel too overwhelming? <laughs> 
No, no, no. I'm always taking notes, you know, and mental notes. And I just saw some of uh, Nate's work, and something about it intrigued me. And I think it's something that's going to go home with me, and I'm going to embellish it. And uh, not that it wasn't great upon itself, but it was something that pushed me off in another direction and gave me a, you know, some type of other idea. So I, I'm always seeing new ideas. And as a matter of fact, your motorcycle, the 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 the. Uh, the little illustration on the side of Evil Knievel falling, that was something unique. So yeah. I think that's something that just, it's a little mental note and I'll, I'm gonna work upon that and make it something different. <laughs> I, I'd never steal an idea, but I'll definitely take an idea and embellish it and make it different, make it my own. Rad, yeah, no, I don't think anybody's ever looked at that bike and said rad before or that it was cool. So that's, that's a first. <laughs> if you haven't seen this bike, it's an amazing bike. It is rad. So yeah. there you go. If I'm the first one ever, I doubt it. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Yeah. No, it, it's uh, it's fun being here, and it's fun seeing all this stuff because, you know, I love I love drawing. I have kids. I draw with the kids all the time. At one time, I thought, eh, you know, I used to, you know, I think when everybody's younger, they, they like to draw or, you know, at some point, art comes into your life, and you see something that influences you, whether you end up just getting being a tattoo hound or what. But whenever I come to these things, I have to say, like, just seeing the pure talent that you guys have and seeing what you do on what you like your style we're you know like you mentioned Nate stuff you know you get inspiration from it but seeing the the like I said the pure talent that you guys have and the fact that you're able to do this stuff that just like I don't know it's it's unreal and it's, it's stylized you know what I mean I guess is the, is the long road trip I'm trying to make here is that like I haven't ever seen anybody's stuff quite like yours well, and uh, or quite like you know everybody's got their own individual style so, yeah. and yeah. this Twisted Throttles event you guys if you if you missed it you're gonna have to check out some uh, of Rick's work some of Nate's work and, and you know everybody that's gonna be here we're gonna talk to some other people later but Rick if people want to purchase some of this uh, do you have it for sale yeah absolutely you can check it out at blackbird5150.com or you can you can see it at americanmotorhead.com rad no you guys gotta check it out go to those we'll put the sh uh, the links in the show notes and definitely check some of this stuff out i mean it, it is rad um you may I don't know, man. I, I'm just saying, like, if there was a, a wall in my house that my wife would let me just go crazy on, I'd, I'd invite you over and just say, hey, man, go, go nuts on this thing. This is really rad, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to you. Really happy to have met you guys because creative writing wouldn't be creative without you guys doing what you do over there. Absolutely. You know what? If you'd like to see more, I'd love to have you guys come out. Uh, my birthday is February 22nd, but I believe the weekend afterwards we're having a birthday party and it's called Rick James is Not Dead, and uh, we'll be down at Legacy Brewing in Oceanside. And uh, again, it's a birthday party, art show, and it's not just about me, uh, but I wanna invite everyone and all the other artists to come out. So we'll have pinstripers and uh, some of the artists here to show some of their work. There'll be bands, there'll be food, there'll be music. Again, at Legacy Brewing in Oceanside. And again, you can check me out at blackbird5150.com. Thank you so much, Rick. And hey, guys, go check them out. If you're going to be down, is it going to be on the 22nd? No, I believe it'll be on Friday the 23rd or 24th. But I'm going to post it, so if you would, please check out my Facebook. Uh, I'll be posting a lot more about the art show at Legacy Brewing in Oceanside. Check me out on Instagram, S-A-E underscore C-A. And that's Standard American Edition. Again, it's S-A-E underscore C-A. Rad. Hey, Rick, thank you so much. And I met your beautiful wife over there uh, earlier. 
I know who the boss is. She told me. <laughs> she, but uh, it, was, it was nice meeting both of you guys. And thank you so much for hanging out. And I'll, we'll, be, we'll probably be chatting more this weekend. And, um, you know, over the course of the night, we might come back and, and see what's happened uh, with Rick, Rick James tonight. But, uh, hey, man, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It's great to meet you. We'll see you out on the road. And, man, check out this guy's bike. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, thanks. <laughs> All right, everybody, that was Rick Ortiz. I think we plugged his stuff enough there. I think he said S-A-E uh, underscore C-A enough for you to get that pumped into your head. Uh, the next artist is somebody who is a very pensive photographer, very uh, laconic. Look that word up if you don't know what it means. Also, this week's word is uh, hipster. And he's definitely not one of those. Right now, we're going to hang out with our next Twisted Throttles artist. I'm here at Twisted Throttles with Brad Petruchik, and I haven't been drinking, and I, it's hard to pronounce his name for me. Um, and we were in there, everybody's been checking out the artists in there, and I gotta say, you were rocking some really awesome photos in there. What do you, like, what do you do, how long have you been doing photography for, and like, where did you learn it? Uh, I went to school at Saddleback for about three years, and then I, uh, went to uh, Paint by Smokey and he introduced me to Brian Bell so I uh, decided to go to a race and uh, I have a thing about uh, people's emotions and their, 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 their love and their energy and so there's a lot on the track so it's perfect for me to take pictures here so the emotions are high yeah. You've caught some the, some of the pictures that I've seen in there. You caught like yeah, the essence of the moment. You I, I didn't have to look twice. You can just see it in your pictures. Is that something that you were that you had to learn or is that something that just kind of came natural to you or like how how would you describe that? Uh well, I'm not a very a uh, very talkative person, so <laughs> I uh I go off emotions, you know. So uh and I just like uh good competitive racing I got I like I like that so in my pictures I I promote it I look for it because so I want to show how hard they work and how much they really enjoy racing every weekend and uh, it's just the fans you know I want the fans to see that I want the race teams to see that I want the sponsors to see that I just want to sponsor these racers and show them that they're out there having fun and trying real hard to win yeah and you know what I I can tell you, if you guys haven't seen it yet, um, go to his Instagram. It's uh, Bradley M. Petruchik. And just like it sounds, we'll have a link to it in the show notes, so don't worry about spilling it. But some of the photos that he puts out are just, they're awesome. And like like you said, they, it doesn't just capture somebody in a moment in time, like around a track. You can, you can kind of look into it. You can pull it apart and like peel this onion, so to speak, and see like there's a lot of different concepts going on in, in one thing. So... It's just crazy. It's like you've been taking photo- photographs all your life, but I mean, it's, if you've only done it the last couple of years, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, people that twisted that, that didn't get to come to Twisted Throttles didn't get to hear your backstory a little bit. So inside, they talked a little bit about it. What did you do before you started your amazing uh, photography career? Uh, <laughs> all the way back to when you were two. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was always into photography. I. Uh, Really never put 100% effort into it. I uh, I took pictures here and there. I uh, went to school and I learned uh, how to take pictures the right way. I got my B's and C's. 
and uh, I learned a lot from my teachers, and uh, I learned it. I learn every day. Every time I go out there and shoot, I uh, I learn a lot. Yeah. So it's not like a not like necessarily a a hammered down style. You're kind of like evolving your your style and technique and all that stuff as you do it. Well, I, yeah. Every time I take pictures, I when I practice. I uh, I have to find that that look I'm looking for. And if it takes me all weekend right. of taking the same shot over and over again until I find the spot, the distance from the camera, the right settings. Once I get to that point, then I'm ready to go out there. And when I go out there, I do the same thing because I just practice. Yeah, tons of practice, tons of practice. It's, uh, it's not easy. I've, uh, every time I go out on the, out on the track, I, I learn something new. I do something new. With all that practice, have you ever had any like happy accidents or anything that like you you look at your pictures afterward and you're like, whoa, what the hell? How did I pull that one off? Or any crazy thing like that? Oh yeah, all the time. And uh, or I was in the wrong spot. It was a great shot, but I was in the wrong spot. And uh, and I mentally remember that. So next time, I will change my settings because I want that shot. And uh, I have a lot of great people around me that uh, taught me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and also, like, when you have, you know, Chris Wiggins is always talking about you, our co-host, and, like, that's kind of, you know, once you kind of start seeing somebody and then you see who they like, Instagram's a hell of a thing, right? I mean, it's like how, how networking is done nowadays, but it's pretty cool to see you always consistently up there on the top and a lot of people crediting you with some of the, like, I don't know how to say it, insta-famous guys up there, you know? So I was like, oh, yeah, no, and yours definitely, the prints that you have there, uh, on display tonight at Twisted Throttles are just like, you know, they're not like of a guy blowing up or like crashing or anything like that. But when you look at them, you're like, damn, like that is something that you can keep, you can look at it like five different times and like get like a different um, sensation of what's going on in it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I can see the thought that you must put into them, whether or not it's like quick for you to do it or whether like you, it's part of like the cropping or whatever it is later that comes. But Dude, I gotta say that artwork in there is is pretty rad, and I don't know. I mean, inside they mentioned that you were in the Marines earlier, and I don't know how much that has to do with like your work ethic and your background as far as photography goes. Uh, is there any correlation there whatsoever? Well, being a Marine, you know, you, know, you gotta accomplish the mission, you know. <laughs> so uh, and well said. Yeah. So it's like uh, you know, I got a. I want to. I want to. I want to share my skills with everybody. I want. I want the fans to see their favorite rider. I want the rider to see their. I want to see them out there. I want them to see them out there working hard. Yeah. You know, I want to just make a, a good, a good picture for everybody. Yeah. You know what? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what I see in these pictures. Is that it's not. That's, I guess, what I'm saying by, like, there's not a guy crashing. Like, a lot of guys go for the action shot and that perfect lean angle and, like, the dirt thrown off the tire. Some of your stuff isn't even, um, you know, there's a great picture of Carver in there, and it's just him going, like, 12,000 miles into his brain. Like, in in the photo, you can, you can almost see, is it despair? Is it, like, thoughtfulness? Is he meditating? Like, what is going on in that picture? And, you, and it leaves me, I, that's why I said I had to look at it five different times and I'm going, not, a, I'm, not only that, but it's a hell of a portrait, you know what I mean? So 
Um, and I noticed that your pictures are really colorful. Is that something that you like try to do to distinguish yourself from other people, or is that just part of your style? That's just the way I was built. <laughs> That's the way my eyes. Everything I take pictures of is what I see. Right. And uh, I just whatever I see, the whatever moment, you know, I try to get close-ups. You know, some of my pictures you can see their eyes. It's just the effort. That's what yeah. gets me motivated. That's what gets. That's why I like to my pictures. Yeah, I like emotions. I like them too, and I have to say, like they totally stand out just because they're not your typical crazy action shot or hey, look here's a famous guy. It's like here's a rad, very very colorful picture, and it kind of, I think you said it right. You know, that was the first sentence out of your mouth. You don't talk a lot, so you you go to that other dimension. You know, you look for the other things to suss out, and you can see it. I mean, it's it's so cool. If you guys get a chance. Check him out. He said he's not full time yet, but I guarantee if we check back with you in a year, I'm, you know, at bradleypetruchik.com, you know, gallery or whatever. <laughs> it would be, but it's really rad. And for you guys that didn't get to make it out, and for you guys that are like in Australia and France and everywhere else that listens, check him out online. It's the closest you're going to get to, you know, be able to see what I saw here tonight. Um, Bradley, I really want to say thanks. I don't want to take up too much of your time tonight. And by the way, this is the most that he said all night, I think, too. So <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out and letting me pick your brain and uh, sharing your stuff with us. Is there anything else, any insights, maybe for people that want to, maybe they've been trying to get into photography and they don't think they have what it takes or they're not, they just can't get their inspiration onto the film. Is there anything that you can suggest, maybe that you did when you were first getting started? Uh get a lot of B's and C's in school <laughs> take advice from a lot of the, a lot of people and uh, if you have a vision you know you gotta stick to it and practice till you get that vision and it's hard I, it's, even though I've done it for three years the flat track it's been taking me it's been taking me three years to get where I'm at and like every photographer like everybody you know you just want to get better and then that's where it's where I'm at right now yeah uh, do you ever go back to some of your older stuff and think like you don't like it or do you go back and you think like oh my god this was really good for just starting out somehow I like have kind of followed my same vision you know down the same path uh no I look back at my old work and I think about I should have listened to the right people <laughs> I should have paid attention because now what they told me is uh true so I, it took me two years but i learned a lot and i and that, as i was making mistakes i was also learning learning the right thing and i was also meeting a lot of people so right, right. it worked out yeah that's that's what it's all about man so you've made some pretty good mistakes i gotta say get your b's and c's folks and uh, talk <laughs> yeah hey yeah get your b's and c's because that means you're practicing right so right. hey brad thank you so much and if you want to check him out bradley and Petruchik, like i said we'll put it in the show notes and uh thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight see you around twisted throttles yeah yeah <laughs> all, right. all right thanks bradley yeah. oh Dude, legit. That guy was so nice and didn't say like hardly anything. The next day, I kept popping into him all over and he opened up a little bit. I got him to talk a little bit more, but talk about a guy who's like everywhere doing everything at once. Like the, I, I ran into him every 12 minutes the next day. He's just snapping off pics, you know, running around and God, one hell of a nice guy, just like the nicest guy. And his thing was, man, I'm nothing special. I just got my B's and C's. I put in the time and it's getting me to where I'm going. 
So, Bradley, you're an inspiration, man. Um, let's hop on to our next Twisted Throttle interview. All right, folks, we're here. Twisted Throttles is in full effect. It's in full swing. Right now, we got somebody special with us. He's a big part of the show and, and a big part of uh, Ivy League events. And I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hey, guys, Nate Bickham here. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of different stuff for Brian. I've, I've worked at Del Mar and done some flagging and some graphic design as well for him. So first off, let's get into, let's back up. How long have you been doing stuff with or for Ivy League? Just a couple years now. I think Del Mar was the first time, so it was a good time. Yeah, I know. These events, they always, they're getting better and better, and it never ceases to amaze me. There's a whole team of people. You're one. Brian was always talking about his crew and his team. Obviously, Nate's one of the guys. But Nate also has a, another secret talent, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you talk, us, talk to us about all the creative stuff that you do. Yeah, I do a lot of graphic design work, and I've recently been doing some illustrations based off of uh, a lot of Instagram photos or, or photos that people send me. And what I do is I take it into Illustrator, and I kind of redraw it and stylize it in like a vector style. So it's been really fun, and it's been a couple months I've been doing that. So it's, uh, it's fun to see it progress and change as well, so it's yeah. cool. Yeah, and definitely, it's been fun watching Nate uh, around the event. He's not funny at all, so don't try to get a laugh out of him. And... You know, he's, he's taking pictures of people taking pictures of people taking pictures. So, I mean, it's been super fun. Picture inception. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, hey, speaking of your art last night, how did, the, how did you feel like the art show went at the uh, Twisted Throttles main stage event? A lot of fun. Uh, Pre-event party. There was a, a burlesque show, which is always good. Um, and then we had some artwork there. So I had my stuff there. Um, Bradley Petruchik had some awesome photographs that he does. And uh, Rick Ortiz uh, does a really amazing uh, acrylic painting on a wood panel. And then Caroline Perron, she's out from Canada, I believe, Montreal. And she had some really cool stuff that she um, actually donated to charity. So that was really cool. And uh, it was auctioned off. So, yeah, it was a good event. It was a good a pre-event, little warm-up for today. So it was a good time. Right. I think you were there. Were you there? Oh, I was there. Uh, <laughs> I think somebody may have cited me. I, my my identity may be uh, not secret anymore. Uh, Cover's been blown, I think. Oh, dude, it's yeah. Over. It, I was, like, worried about that, but it happened. So now we just deal. We, we put out the fires now. Yeah, no, that was a fun event. It was fun watching you guys. You know, you guys were on, and people people were loving your stuff. I mean, what's better than that? How long have you been, how long have you been doing, uh, like, illustrating and stuff like that? Well, I've been drawing and stuff since I was a kid with like traditional, you know, acrylics, oil paints, um, all kinds of different stuff. But, you know, I've been doing graphic design for about 10 years now. And then this illustration stuff, I'm just having so much fun and, and it's really taken off. And, you know, the last few months, I think. So, yeah, pretty much since I was a little kid, I've been drawing, scribbling, and I still scribble and I'm just older now. So it's all fun, man. I love it. Yeah. Is there anybody famous that's asked you, hey, can you draw a picture of me? Because I know Wiggins is always like, hey, maybe that Nate guy will draw me. And I'm like, hey, maybe. But, you know, maybe it's hard for artists, I think, to have people. Once you get a little bit known, people all then assume that you're, you know, like they're George Washington and you're whoever painted George Washington, right? To me, everybody that I've drawn or everybody that wants to be drawn, to me, everybody's famous. I mean... That's what's kind of cool about Chris is like he's out here getting new people out here into the sport and and that's what's rad to me. So 
everybody that you know I think has some you know interesting thing to bring to the table it's it's always fun to draw whether they're known in the industry or whatever you know it's fun man yeah it's really fun so yeah that's kind of no like qualms. this pod, this podcast you know I you know it's just about people that are doing stuff and yeah. hey all of us are out here doing something rad I really love the style of your stuff if you guys if anybody wants to check you out where can they find you Sure. Um, if you go on Instagram, uh, you'll look up my name, Nate Bickham, N8BICCUM, or go to uh, hashtag N8Illustrate, and that basically has all of my art stuff in that hashtag. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm going to set up a big cartel site, and I'm going to start doing, uh, like right now, I'm thinking about doing a poker card deck, like playing cards, oh to where every card will be a different rider on a bike or. You know something bike related so it'll be a custom deck so i'm starting to kind of go that direction with it too and actually have some products to bring and have my illustrations on so it'll be fun that that's actually a rad idea i've never actually seen that before that's super super uh in, in ingenuitous some creative that something is super different. original yeah, yeah. so i haven't oh. seen it yet i don't know if it's out there but i think what you touched on is like just do stuff you know that's how you figure out the podcast or you figure out, you know, racing bikes or drawing or art or whatever. Just get in there and do it. You know, you're going to you're going to come across all kinds of things. So that's how you learn. You know, when I was a kid, you know, if, if you get a book and you learn something and learn the techniques and you just keep practicing, it's, that's what it's about in, in life in general. I think we're all students, really, you know. Yeah, I know. I've, some of your stuff, uh, you know, I, you can see a progression of it, and I think it's, it's rad. I mean, who knows what you're going to be doing in 10 more years. Yeah. We could be seeing you on the cover of, like, you know, Vanity Fair or something like that. Art, art famous artist, <laughs> you know. It's an adventure. It's yeah. an adventure. Who knows? But it's fun. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Nate, for hanging out with us today. And did you, on a side note, did you get any new material from the event last night, the burlesque show? We saw some crazy talent there. You know, there's some crazy stuff going on. <laughs> Absolutely, it was a good time. It was a good time for sure. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be back next year and we'll do it again. All right. If you Absolutely. see, if you see Nate's illustration of a girl doing hula hoops with like 95 <laughs> hula hoops, you know where he got it. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out, and uh, that's it, guys. Twisted throttles in full effect. We will talk to you later. Oh my God, dude! Nate was such a crack up. He's another guy that I saw all day the next day. It was so much fun making uh, some new friends. All three of the guys we got to talk to uh, as far as artists go were just so unique and original. And Brad and Nate, uh, like I said, I saw a bunch the next day. Totally just cool, funny guys. And Rick too, man. You guys really make making new friends pretty easy. All right, someone else we all know showed up and let's yeah with them. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, I mean, from the, from the taillight all the way to the handlebars, they sometimes will drape like a rug over it so they can fit everybody up on it. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty amazing. Hey, everybody, we're here at Twisted Throttles. That voice you hear is none other than legendary field producer Bri Viffer. We ran into him of all people here at the uh, event. He's hanging out. I noticed that his attire was a little bit different than last time I saw him. I'm not going to get into that. I'll let him tell you about it. So first off, Brian, hey, who, who are you here with? I'm here with my wife, Sonia. And Sonia, do you ride? I ride dirt. Nice. Yeah, very good. I have fun time riding dirt. Yeah, I know. He's told me about all the escapades that you know you guys and the family in general have gone on, and it sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Lots of fun. It's a family affair. Rad. So hey, Paul. 
AKA Bri Viffer. Um, what's going on with your get up there? Uh, so I'm, I'm currently sporting a nice black sling on my left arm. Uh, I haven't had it monogrammed or anything yet. Hopefully I won't, <laughs> I won't have it long enough to do that. But uh, yeah, I was in a, I was an accident uh, last Friday. Um, I was just running around town doing some, some errands and um, I was about a mile from home when I was just coming up to an intersection and a car pulled out of traffic right in front of us and there, um, there was one other motorcycle in, in front of me and um, the car um, didn't see either of us or didn't look or whatever and, and actually pulled like directly in front of the, the motorcycle in front of me. Um, that, that guy uh, didn't have time to react at all. Just it was directly in front of him, and he just he just nailed her. Um, and I was about 20 feet behind him. I, I slammed on the brakes as hard as I could, and my bike went down. And uh, so I, I just have um, I landed on my left side, uh, so I hurt my left shoulder, and um, and I have some road rash. Um, but the other guy who hit the car, he he went over his handlebars. Uh, over her car um, and she she was pulling from the middle lane all the way across the right lane trying to pull into a parking lot so the momentum for her from her car kind of pushed him into the parking lot yeah he ended up on his back and and I ran over to him and he was flying uh, lying flat on his back just staring up at the sky totally out cold uh, for probably about like 30 seconds to a minute before he kind of came to um, and I'd say it was, it was, it felt like it was like less than two minutes before the, before the first cops got there and, and first responders and everything happened really fast. Um, but he, uh, he's, it seems like he's doing a little bit better. Um, he, I think had like a concussion, um, and, and that was it. I don't think he broke anything, but, um, but he, but he was out for a while, so I think they kept him in the hospital like overnight, uh, maybe uh, maybe two nights. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it, it it happened really fast, and it was, uh, it was just it was, yeah, it was crazy. Man, I when you uh, when I saw you, I was I didn't know there was another guy involved. Dude, that's insane. Was you, was she on her phone or no? What happened? Um, so we we're it, we we're coming up on an intersection. So there's three lanes going forward, and the two left lanes. Are, um, are to go th straight through the intersection and the right lane was to take a right turn only. Uh, the two left lanes were, were completely blocked up. Um, there was about maybe 20 cars back waiting to cross through the red light. Uh, but the right turn lane was completely clear. So I was about 20 feet behind this guy um, going down the right turn lane and this girl was in the middle lane and she just cut out from the traffic and, and tried to cut across the, the right lane to get into the gas station parking lot. And she just um, didn't see him or didn't look or I don't know, but um, she just bolted right across and right in front of him. And and I just saw it play out in front of me. I mean, he, the way his bike just nailed her and he went up in the air, but that was the last thing I saw because at that point, as soon as I saw him uh, hit her, I, I grabbed my brakes and my bike just tumbled to the ground. Um, like a like a low side washout. Luckily, not like skidding into them or anything. Yeah, yeah. I, my bike ended up maybe like five feet um, from his bike or so. Um, and then, uh, but his, uh, my bike, you know, because I just went down and, and it kind of spun around a little bit and the, the plastics kind of thrashed. 
Um, but, I mean, his bike, they collided, so his was just toast. The plastic went everywhere, and, you know, glass and plastic line all over the place. Sonia, when you got home that night and you ran upstairs, the first thing you do is you, uh, you know, you run up, you probably got a... ignore me. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even know he was uh, laying there, huh? I didn't know. I didn't read my text message from him uh, on the way back from the airport, so I had no idea what to expect. And it didn't register give, in my brain. I tried to I give was, her a little warning so she wouldn't be uh, too upset when she got home. I just said there was a minor incident, but don't worry, everybody's fine. Yeah, and I was I ran up the stairs, and at the top of the stairs, I thought, wait, what did I see? My husband in a sling. And it just broke. It just, it's something I worry about all the time. You know, I really I worry about. But I, I know he loves it, and I know he's one of the best riders out there. So. Well, behind Valentino Rossi, then Lorenzo, and then 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 Paul. I'm right, right there, right there. I don't know who those guys are. And then Marquez, and then Paul. Not as good looking as my husband. No, definitely not. No, not these kids. Well, so hey, did it give you? Because I know I was in an accident, and my wife was a little bit comforted afterwards, knowing that yeah, your skills, we have the skills, and. Yeah. And the fact that there are so many people there to help him out. And um, yeah, that he knew what to do. Did you run over and go, not your face, not your face? <laughs> no, there were, there was a few people that, that stopped and helped out, and uh, some people were, were really good. And uh, um, and I um, I ended up at the same hospital as the other guy who was involved, so um, I checked on him. By the time I was getting discharged, they, um, he was still in there getting. He he cut his hand pretty good. So by the time I got over to see him, they were stitching up his hand. Uh, but he, he seemed like he didn't remember anything. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't remember the accident at all. He just remembers driving down the road, and the next thing he knew, he, he woke up lying on his back, So which is probably good because what I saw just keeps playing over in my mind, and it, and it looked really gnarly. Yeah, I know. You're just like, glad. I'm glad that wasn't me, but you got that burned in you now. Yeah. It, it, like. Like you say, you know, it could have been worse, you know. So we, we both got out of it. So yeah, that's that's really cool, and it's good that, like you know, that he's been riding as long as he has, knew what to do, and then yeah, had the presence had, of mind to go help the guy, you know. Yeah, knew yeah, how to lay it down when he should have. Yeah, well, I don't know if that was intentional. All I know <laughs> is I, I hit the brakes as hard as I could, and yeah. I mean I don't know if if, if the, I, bike, the bike did the rest. Yeah, it, I guess it took over from there. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not too worse for wear. A little bit of road rage, or road rash. I almost said road rage. No road rage, just a little road rash. And uh, but you're not looking at another bad part. Though. Yeah, I've got a. Let's see your butt, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good sized bruise over there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was. Um, uh, it was just. It was a girl. She was a 17-year-old girl. Um, so you know, not a whole lot of experience. She may not have been you know, knowing what to look for. Um, Brand new car. Yeah. Oh no! Brand new BMW. Mom is going to be mad. Mom and Dad are going to be pretty mad at that. And apparently, the uh, the cop who was taking the traffic report said that 
um, her mom actually worked at the, the hospital that we ended up at, but she wasn't there then. She actually came from the hospital to the um, accident scene to check on her daughter. Uh, her daughter, I guess, was pretty messed up. She was like hysterically crying and just in total emotional shell yeah. yeah, after like, and you know you, you did it, you know, you bolted across lanes. Yeah, you're probably scared and, and messed up. Oh, man, so I don't know. I don't know about the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge next year, man. I, I, what are you talking about? Yeah. There's no stopping me. Yeah, I've already been trying to wheelie one-handed. Uh, <laughs> I'll be back on the road. I give myself... By Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping by by the end of this week. We'll see. I have a, I have a follow-up doctor's appointment uh, tomorrow or Monday. Um, so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that, that he gives me a clean bill of health and then I'll be back on the road in no time. Man, that's awesome. Hey, and if you guys, you can't see it, but we're like, we're kind of being swarmed by these yellow, we, we sounded great. I have to say there was no, uh, no weird sound for all these, you know, yeah, all these yellow jackets flying around. We're all swinging and trying to get them away. It's kind of funny, but hey, uh, real quick, what have you, what do you think of, of Twisted Throttle today? You didn't see the uh, pre-party last night, but so far today, what is your impression? I, well, I, I love the run, uh, run what you brung. I mean, uh, just seeing all these guys like in full dressers and baggers and, and you know old bikes and I mean these these guys are definitely not professional racers but it, it's fun to watch them rip it down the, the course yeah there was even a v-rod out there and a dude did a wheelie with some bags on the bag it was kind of funny like luggage doing a wheelie it was pretty rad yeah I mean it's it's definitely got some entertainment value you know yeah. it's, it's pretty neat you know too there was rain in the forecast and I was kind of worried about riding down and then having to ride back in rain but man it is cleared up and it is just beautiful out here today so a SoCal day it doesn't rain in SoCal, come on. <laughs> All right, guys, well, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Paul and Sonia, for coming out. And uh, we'll check with you next time we see you. I'm sure that you'll be uh, all fixed up and better and, and riding. <laughs> all right, guys, take it easy. All right, thanks. All right, guys, that pretty much wraps up our coverage of Twisted Throttles 2017. I have to say thank you so much to Brian Bell and Ivy League Flat Track Race on the Res, everybody that uh, took care of us there at the track. Also for co-host Wiggins, everybody had uh, something nice to say about you and you really have done uh, tons for the show. Thank you so much. Um, let's wrap it up there and move on to the last part of our show. I know I said guest in the beginning when I meant co-host. I'll, I'll erase that, or I'll say it here. It's all right. I made, <laughs> I made fun of you for you can, um, you can just let me get away with that. Yes, we will. All right, so here we are with our Instagram picks of the week. We're going to let Jen have first shot since she is the guest this week. And uh, Jen, rattle off your Instagram pick of the week. All right, so um, I decided to pick someone that is promoting the race culture. Um, the guy that I found living in North Carolina promoting is called Southern Dirt Track Association, uh, Jason Paul Michaels, and it's and his IG is just that, Jason Paul Michaels. So I just thought it was pretty cool to find someone outside of SoCal promoting it and trying to make it big down south. Like flat tracking in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's rad. And and Southern Flat Track Association, I swear I've heard of them. They put on 
I want to say they put on a couple big events that uh, people should know, um, and I just can't think of them right at the second, but that's rad. Um, co-host Chris, I'm going to let you run with spot number two. All right, I think I've found one then. I'm going to go with, I can't find him, Capital Barbershop, but he spells it weird with some threes and twos. So it's C-A-P-I-T-O-L-3, A-R-B-E-R-2, H-O-P. Um, it's so, like R2-D2's lame brother. Yeah. So Capital Barbershop, um, the reason I'm going to pick him is uh, he does some fun two-stroke stuff, and he has a N S. 250 rad and ns it might be an nsr 250 might be an nsr250 i think you're right um it's like street legal too I, they, and huh. there's not a ton of them in the states that are street legal so i don't know whether like they got imported later or what the deal is he probably knows way more about it um but he actually races it at chuck wall and does their cool little series he's also got one of the little like ns50s or nsr50s um that one is not street legal, but he takes that to like the cart tracks and he painted them to match too. So that's kind of cool. Rad. But, yeah. I got a uh, friend who uh, vintage races at NSR 125, I think. Yeah. So those, those, it's a two stroke, the one that he has at street legal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so also if you're in the San Diego area and you need a hair's cut, go see him. Rad. Capital Barbershop. Uh, mine for this week is going to be Zachiatrist. And uh, that is photographer Zach Iddings. When I first got into like motorcycle uh, stuff on t- mostly Tumblr, actually, and all over the Instagrams, um, Zach was one of the guys that was like putting stuff out all the time. He's one of the first guys I saw use social media as like his, uh, you know, just crazy daily sort of. Uh, venue i guess you would say like his personal gallery he does all sorts of motorcycle and he did product um photos for a while he's gotten a little bit artsier over time and uh got started shooting ladies started shooting scenes um but in the beginning it was like mostly motorcycles and mostly la i think he's based in venice i'm not sure but i actually saw him Gosh, this is so weird. I saw him in some weird random magazine when I was somewhere as like a featured uh, photographer and artist. And they were talking to him about his craft and this and that. So he does, if you go back through his Instagram feed, he's got a lot of pretty cool um, uh, motorcycle photos specifically before he got into like the scenes and stuff like that. And I think he did a lot of promo work for companies and products and stuff too. So, and then some of his newer stuff, is uh really a little bit more playful artistically but less playful like subject matter so yeah it's pretty interesting to see him uh having evolved over time so that's he's one of the guys um i think he used to maybe even have a hand in uh olden co or something not 100 percent sure but he's another moto photo that's my instagram pick of the week um guys this is gonna probably wrap up our show for this week because we've got some Interviews we heard. We we talked about uh, Twisted Throttles, Eichma Motor Challenge. What else is there? Um, Jen, you got anything cool or exciting coming up? Mm. <laughs> All right. Chris, you got anything <laughs> rad coming up? In, in the are, we, uh, are we doing anything for the 100th episode? Well, the 100th episode, uh, 
Or are we just going to record it next week in your living room like normal? Yeah, we're just going to probably record it in the living room next week like normal. I'm going to go ahead and take everything from the previous two years and uh, do some interview recalls. You know, we'll, go, we'll, we'll take a stroll down memory lane and maybe, just maybe, we'll do something cool. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. When, do we, when have I ever done something cool? Uh, just a reminder... We are full, but I'm I'm promoting a race. SoCal Hooligans is promoting a race January 13th at Paris Flat Track. So if you want to come out and see what some of the uh, hooligan racing is all about, we got... I tried to limit it to 20 riders, and it filled up, and I got 25. Dude, and then that I was filled like, up so fast, too. Yeah. I was like, okay, I have to stop letting people race. <laughs> I have to limit it at 25. So um, we're just jumping in on a Speedway event is the reason it's limited. But uh, there's already some stuff in the works for later in the year that would be unlimited that I want, like, 80 guys at. So. Yeah. But um, definitely... January 13th and February 3rd if you want to catch the hand shifters out there at Paris racing. So. Radical. I know that's so cool. Is and one is the Veggie Plate Classic one of those? Yeah, that's January 13th. Right. That's a so. that one's got a little backstory to it. I can't wait. Uh, I mean, hell, that's what I used to do. That's how I got hooked on the Hill on Wheels stuff was I just went out there and started watching them a couple times. And then, you know, you get the chance to like do one and you're like, well, this is rad. And so even if you don't, you know, like I, I haven't been back to, to do one, but I've been back to watch them a bunch. And so it's really fun just to watch Speedway stuff. It blew my mind, I bet. Yeah, Paris is fun for Speedway, too, because those guys are really, really moving. To give you an idea on Speedway, Brad Baker does, I think he said a 15 second lap time out there. And the Division One Speedway guys do about a 12 second lap time. Yeah. It's about a three-second different time. Um, And then I think four or five of my – I mean, probably 10 or 12 of the riders haven't done more than, like, three hooligan races. So a lot of, like, new guys coming out. Um, Definitely some some veteran hooligan racers also, but – um, should be super fun. Should be a good show. We're going to do handicap starts. So, um, the new guys that are a little slower are going to get like a little bit of a start advantage, but it should make for a ho- hopefully a pretty cool event. Radical. So don't miss it folks. Uh, that is January 13th. Yep. And February 3rd for the hand shifters. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. And, uh, next time we'll have our hundredth episode and you'll have to wait and see what we do for it. (laughs) So, all right, everybody, good night and have a good Friday. Have a good weekend. Bye.